get Roman seven. We got to the airport on uh, last Sunday, flying into Philadelphia. Now it was Super Bowl Sunday, flying into Philly. We get to the Air- national airport. It is amped up. I mean, there's a you know, there's always always a Philly fan. It's fired up. And he's chanting the song. He's got the whole airport going, you know. And they had to make an announcement. Hey, you you pipe down. We're trying to call who's boarding. And we get on the plane, and it's fly, Eagles fly. I mean, the whole thing, it's just, it's a fired up day. And, um, man, you try to get that many Christians together, get excited about witnesses and, and, and shouting and screaming for Jesus, it'd just be, it'd just be a handful of people. It just, it's just, it, it, it never ceases to amaze me how excited the world gets about their thing. And I, I, I used to be, I used to do that. I used to get so excited about that. And when I got convicted, the Lord, you know, he just put in my heart, look, if you can get so excited about that, why can't you take the same excitement and put it into living for me? And that, that got a hold of my heart. I really think our problem, and I'm not saying our problem in here, just our problem generally as Christians in America is we're just more excited about other things. And I just want to be all out and all excited for Jesus. I know, I know what my life was like before I got saved. Let's put it that way. Let's hear the details. I'm not telling you the details. I'm telling you the details on the other side and what we can who we can live for and what we can get excited about. And you young people, listen up. I was I did not I did not live a Christian life as a young person. You have the opportunity to live a Christian life as a young person. You have parents that bring you to church and you have a preacher that's going to give you all the room you need to grow and live for Jesus. Take advantage of it. Romans 7. Romans 7. The Bible says, last two verses, we're going to wrap up this chapter. Romans 7, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? From the body of this death. And this isn't Paul in physical trouble. He's not in a dungeon. He's not in prison. His own Christian experience compels him to cry out to God. Oh, wretched man that I am. And he's not calmly whispering. It's a cry. Oh, wretched man that I am. He's imprisoned in his own body of flesh. I want you to imagine what Paul, I believe, is trying to get us to understand. Imagine being chained to a dead corpse. That's my flesh. That's your flesh. And he cries out. Paul knows that he's justified. Are you justified? You've trusted Christ. He knows that. We know that. What's this cry for? He's chained to a dead corpse, his body of flesh. Oh, wretched man that I am. So he calls for help. It's the coffin of his soul, so to speak, the suit that's covering his soul. And, and it's his enemy. Wherever he goes, it goes. You ever try to really get your mind wrapped around doing something for Jesus? And all of a sudden, there comes your flesh. And it just stops you. That's the cry for Paul. That's the cry we should have. Oh, wretched man that I am. That, that flesh is your enemy, and it will always be there to assault you. And you get tired. You get worn out. You, 
you get put in a situation that's stressful and you and I equally are going to be more susceptible to that flesh taking over. We need to be careful of those things. A couple of doctrinal things we talk about this morning. One is when Paul cries out, oh, wretched man that I am, it's proof that this is a regenerated man. Paul as a saved man. Because that cry is proof. It's proof that he's saved because a lost person wouldn't want to cry that out. He wouldn't want to put off the body of flesh. He enjoys it. The unregenerate man, he's fine in his worldliness. He's not laboring in prayer or crying out to God. But Paul is, oh wretched man that I am. This cry is also proof that there's a hatred for sin and that there is a longing for holiness. Don't take your mind too far back. But before you were saved, you didn't hate sin. You loved it. You didn't long for holiness. You were fine with unrighteousness. <laughs> Enough said. Sin right now might cause you to stumble, and it might cause you to stumble 10 minutes after you leave church. <laughs> the difference is between the lost and the saved is you're not happy about the fact that you stumbled. <laughs> This is the cry, O oh, wretched man that I am. We should long for holiness. You get a little splinter in your eye. What happens? Everything stops until you get that out. You're going to wink. You're going to get some water in it. You're going to get your finger in it. You're going to, everything in life stops until you get that thing taken care of. Oh, wretched man that I am. You stumble as a Christian. I stumble as a Christian. Everything should stop until we get that thing worked out and we get it right. We don't just leave it there and act like nothing's wrong. What do you, what's wrong? What are you doing this? For? What, what, do you, what do you mean something's wrong with my eye? There's nothing wrong with my eye. Yeah, you got a big splinter. No, it's fine. Nobody does. You're trying to get it out. Too many Christians stumble they fall into sin and it's as if nothing happens let's just go ahead on with life that is not the christian life there should be a longing to get it right and a longing for holiness oh wretched man that i am paul is under conviction of his own helplessness we don't find purpose in our in our personal performance anymore as christians we can't find deliverance in that. We're looking toward God. We're crying out to God. God deliver me. God help me. Why? Because our personal purposes don't matter anymore. It's only are we, are we in the will of God and are we doing the purpose of God? God puts you here for a purpose. And it's not for you to sit here and warm a pew. It's to sit here and get fed the word of God as you warm a pew and as I warm this area and then to go out and live according to his purpose and his will. 
It's not to come and get our fix and go out and live according to our purpose. Oh, wretched man that I am. You know, Peter, when he denied the Lord three times, you know what it really revealed? Just how weak he was. I'm going to feed my lambs. I'm going to feed my sheep. Get your own personal purpose, Peter. You can learn a lot from that. Oh, wretched man that I am. That is proof that he is confessing his weakness of his own flesh. May God help us do the same. Unfortunately, our soul is trapped in this corrupt, animalistic body of flesh. And it's going to be like that until we rapture, until we are raptured, or until we die. And we need to be careful that our flesh doesn't become our sovereign ruler. This is to Christians. Why 1 Corinthians 9 says, I keep my body and bring it unto subjection. Because we all need to do that. Because it will take over. You want to see it in its full ruling power? Go down to Unity Church at 12 o'clock. Turn on the cable TV. Turn on the secular radio. Turn on the Hollywood films. Nobody has to make a rule for me to not listen to that and not watch that. You know why? Because I'm not interested in any. I want to be interested in one thing. And anything else is going to take second, third, fourth, fifth, or sixth place. And when it doesn't, I'm wrong. And when it doesn't for you, guess what? You're wrong. You want to go out and take a fishing trip? Great. If it keeps you out of church, you're wrong. You want to watch a movie? Great. If it's got filth in it, if it's got blasphemy in it, if it's got adultery in it, it's got cussing in it, you're wrong. I'm not against movies. I'm against unwholesome movies. Oh, wretched man that I am. we got to be careful. This ruling flesh, I mean, it'll just keep you in bondage and it will actually keep you out of true freedom. And true liberty to serve Christ. May I also say this. This isn't Paul as a wimp. Paul's not a wimpy Christian. Just. Weakly calling out. No. This is Paul as a Christian warrior. Crying out. A wretched man. That I am. He's not. This isn't a chain captive as much as it is a soldier in conflict, a Christian warrior in conflict, and he is longing to get some help and he's longing to get some relief. Can we be like Paul? Be the warrior that recognizes he needs some first aid, he needs some help. Oh, wretched man that I am. Paul also recognizes when he cries out, Oh, wretched man that I am. He recognizes as a Christian warrior, he is in a fight. 
He sees the enemy. He's not oblivious to this. He's got a knife. The enemy's got a knife in his hand. He's got a gun in his holster. He's got a spear ready to throw. Paul recognizes this and he calls out as a warrior for Christ, as a soldier, Lord, I need some help and some aid and some relief. Go to 2 Corinthians 10. And get Ephesians 2 as well. 2 Corinthians 10. And Ephesians chapter number 2. I'd like to look at a few verses that will help us get a hold of something here. Look at 2 Corinthians 10 verse number 3. The Bible says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. I mean, that's pretty obvious. We can't get rid of our flesh, right? But we all know this verse. It's a spiritual warfare. That's why it says for the weapons in verse 4 of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. That should kind of seal the understanding that we're not fighting with our fists and our feet and carnal weapons. It's a spiritual warfare as we are walking in a physical body of flesh. Everybody got that, right? Has that. Look at Ephesians 2. Okay, so on, on one, that... that Second Corinthians verse. What is that? That's us physically on earth walking in a physical body of flesh. Everybody got it, right? Yet God says, yeah, but it's not a carnal fight. It's a spiritual fight. So that, that's one side. Now, this other side in Ephesians 2, it says in verse number 6, uh, Verse 5, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you're saved. And then verse 6 is the verse, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So wait a minute. You mean to tell me I am here in the flesh fighting a spiritual war, but they am also seated in heavenly places? Well, how can that be if I'm down here? That's kind of the point of Romans 7. Because we've got both going on. We've got a soul that's spiritually been regenerated. That is trapped in this physical body of flesh that's here on earth. Where are we? It seems like we're in both places. <laughs> How can we be seated in, in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, yet be down here on earth? Well, are you in Christ? Where's Christ? Oh, he's in the third heaven, God's dwelling place, seated at the right hand of God the Father. Are you there? Yeah. If you're in Christ, you are. Yeah, but I'm still down here. I know you're down here too. Is, is Christ up there? Yeah. Well, do you have the indwelt Holy Spirit? Well, he's in you too. Try to prove that scientifically. Well, we just believe the science. People need to quit with this, we're going to believe the science, because most of the stuff Christians believe is not scientific. I know the Bible isn't a scientific book, but all the true operational science that happens down here, the Bible always seems to confirm it. Isn't that fun? 
But we've got some things that we believe that we could never put in a lab and test. So we have, we walk in the flesh, yet we're, we're in heavenly places. Um, look, uh, go to 2 Corinthians 5. You turned here earlier. This will kind of seal the thought here. 2 Corinthians 5, uh, and get Philippians as well. Philippians 1. Philippians 1 and 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, watch what it says in verse number 6. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, now, we know this world isn't our home, right? We're strangers. We're pilgrims. We're, we're just passing through. We know that. But it says, while we are at home, where's the home that he's talking about? It's the body. It's this home. It's this suit of flesh that we're wearing. And then it says, we are absent from the Lord. Well, how are we absent with the Lord if it says we're seated with him in heavenly places? Well, because you are spiritually, and I am spiritually. How are we absent? Well, our, physically, we're not there. Everybody get that, that, that difference. Um, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And then verse number eight, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body, which is our home right now. This is where we where our soul is dwelling. It's our home, our flesh home. Rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. That's someone saved, they die. We're going to cry. We're going to be upset. We might not ever get over it this side of heaven. And all that's for us. Because <laughs> it doesn't affect them one bit. <laughs> They're absent from the body present with the Lord. <laughs> We're just a mess. Because we've lost a loved one. But we can still rejoice. Why? Because of this. Because of this. So this is going to be present with us until we die. We're going to flesh, we're going to have this battle between our soul that's been regenerated and we have the indwelt Holy Spirit and then our body. When we were kids, we'll, we'll go to Philippians 1 and I'll tell you this story. Philippians 1 verse number 22. It says, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. How many of you have quoted that verse as your life verse for a day that's been stressful? Mm -hmm. I, that, I would say that's a normal desire to some extent, right? Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. God has a purpose for you. And like we said earlier, it's not just a warm up you. He's got you in this body of flesh down here for a purpose. He hasn't called you home yet. 
I know you want to be with the Lord. I want to be with the Lord. But we are seated with him in heavenly places. Spiritually, we're there. Spiritually, we have the Holy Spirit. And the Godhead said, this is where I want you now. So do something for his purpose. And don't let that sovereign flesh rule. You've got a desire to depart to be with Christ. Now, when we were kids, we would play this game, jailbreak. How many of you ever played jailbreak? Okay, jailbreak was a great, I, lo I love jailbreak because you'd have a jail and you'd have teams. And so if you tagged one kid, you'd run up to him, and, but you'd have to, you couldn't just tag him. You had to grab him and say, one, two, three, you're my man, no breakies. Because you, you, had, you had to hold him for that long and he couldn't break free. So, you know, I'd run around. I'd try to get a kid. One, two, three, you're my man, no breakies. And then we'd send him to jail. He'd be in jail. He'd pick a place. It was usually a tree. And so all the kids would go that were caught by the guy that was it. One, two, three, you're my man, no breakies. All right, you're in. So you'd get the whole tree be surrounded with kids that got caught. And there's one guy left. And everybody that's in jail is rooting for that kid. Come on, come on, come on, come on. And he would juke you and he'd, he'd, get, he'd, get around, he'd get around you and he'd run up to that tree and he'd tap that tree and he'd yell, jailbreak! And then all the kids would run again, man, and everybody would be out of here. You know what we are? We are, it's a game of jailbreak. We can't wait for the Lord to tag us and say, jailbreak! And we're out of here, man. We are out of this flesh suit, either through the rapture or through death, and then we're absent from the body and present with the Lord. Now, all these guys that are in prison, they say they get saved. They ain't getting out. They might have gotten saved, but they're not getting out of prison. You want to talk about a jailbreak, man. If the rapture happens tomorrow, that's a jailbreak. The only way those guys are getting out of that prison is if the Lord takes them out of there. Because they ain't... They, Civil law is not taking them out. They've committed such heinous crime. I mean, that's a good ministry to get involved in. Why? If you don't bring it to them, they ain't getting the gospel. They're going to rot in that cell, man. And you know what people are doing? They're not in a jail with bars. They're walking around in a jail in their flesh suit. And what do we want to do? Jailbreak. We want to bring them the gospel. So they can be seated in heavenly places spiritually. And when they die, they're absent with the body present with the Lord. And Paul sees the danger ahead. He knows his weakness. He's not crying out. Paul, this cry, oh, wretched man that I am. He's not crying out as a defeated soldier. Paul is crying out as a contending soldier. He's a warrior. We've got to get a hold of that, especially at men. This society is trying to make men sissies. Pansies, pushovers, soft. They have a name for us. They call, they call it toxic masculinity. Well, I'm toxic. And I'm masculine. And I'm proud of it. And men, you should be too. This society wants to make you soft. Wants you to walk with a skip in your step. They want you to talk with a lisp. They want you to dress a certain way. 
to show your soft side. Well, I'm not soft. I like things that are tough and rough and tumble, and that's a good thing. Boys roughing, tumbling, and getting messed up in the mud, and getting their clothes dirty, and getting their jeans ripped, and getting in trouble for it. Good. Good. And they want to take the girls, and they want to make them into lumberjacks. They want to make them into diesel truck drivers. They want to make them into girls that can pour concrete all day and come home smelling like diesel smoke. They flipped the whole thing around. And we have ceased to be warriors for Christ because we don't even know what role we are. We don't know what rank and file we are. They got everything so confused. I can understand a fella talking like a truck driver and getting in somebody's face, yelling at him and telling them off. I've been having a hard time understanding these women that will just, they'll bite your face off. They're in politics, they're in the school system, they're parenting children. Oh, wretched man that I am. We need to understand there's a danger ahead. Paul sees that. He's a contending warrior. So what are you saying? I need to go to the gym and do more push-ups? No. It's a, it's a spiritual warfare. Spiritual work. Not defeated, a contending soldier. Romans 7, verse 25. Let's go back there. You know what's happening. Some lady that is doing all she can do to provide for her family is driving truck, listening online right now. We're probably going to get a message. But not saying they can't do those things. I'm just saying that our roles have been reversed. And they've been reversed on purpose. They don't want us. This world and the devil does not want us being contending soldiers. They want us defeated. And I'm not, I'm not waving the white flag. And I trust you are not. Romans 7 verse 25. It says, I thank God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Praise the Lord. Paul's not helpless. He's thanking God. And let me just say this thought. Too many people focus on who is against us rather than who's for us. Too many people get into some type of combative sport and they focus on who their opponent is too much. And that ends up beating them. Instead of focusing on developing their skill set. We need to be careful that we don't just just keep our eyes on who the enemy is. Because who is for us is greater than our enemy. Let's not forget that. It's by his power that we find complete victory. We find comfort. We find joy. We find peace. We can be rescued and ultimately find deliverance from this body of flesh that's trying to rule us. My conscience couldn't do it. Your conscience couldn't do it. The law couldn't do it. Nothing can do it but God. Praise God. Thank God. I'm telling you, we need, we need, 1 Corinthians 15, it says, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, 
the lost love language of Christians is this. Thankfulness to God. Besides the meal that some of us have just been uh, Pavlovianly trained, for lack of a better term, food in front, I bow head, I say magic words, I eat food, I move on with day. It didn't mean nothing. I'm not saying I haven't done that. I'm saying that, oh, wretched man that I am. You can say the same prayer. Just make sure it's not vain. Make sure it's got some meaning to it. Hopefully it's not I'm just so hungry I have to eat so I better do this little ritual so I can satisfy my hunger. Wretched man that I am. The lost love language of Christians is Romans 7 25. I thank God. I thank God. plane trip we took on on Sunday everybody was all fired up yelling and screaming and cheering because it was the Super Bowl day until the plane hit some turbulence and then it was dip all of a sudden all the atheists believed in God and then when the pilot said an emergency you know you see someone they're holding like this they're holding the, the like at, that, none of that's going to do anything but you're just searching for something to do God, God, please help me. Oh, wretched man that I am, please. I don't want to be the guy that's only crying out to God when the plane's about to go down. My son says, Dad, what do you think's going to happen? I said, I don't know. You're the pilot in training. You tell me. And I know what he's thinking. Dad, I'm 12. I'm looking for some help from you. And I finally told him, I think everything will be fine. We'll get wheels down. But it's a lost love language. True thankfulness to God. But both of those situations with food and with potential peril, it's how I painted those pictures were basically us wanting to preserve and protect our flesh. God help us. Let us be thankful. And says, so, so then with the mind. Uh, this is this is his conclusion now. It's his renewed mind, right? Not an unregenerate mind. This is his renewed mind. I myself, he's got the same person acting in apparent contradiction because he's trapped. Serve the law of God. He knows the law is holy. He knows it's just. He knows it's good. Then he says, but with the flesh, and it's just all that corruption, the law of sin. That's the passions of your own flesh. Romans 7.25. Those passions always tend away from holiness. And the only way it can be overcome, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's only by the grace of God. Four things I'd like to have us remember before we close out this morning. Concerning Romans 7, 24 and 25. First one is very, very simple. We have the law of God and the law of sin. If you want to be a contending, a contending soldier in the fight and a warrior for God, you have to recognize that this law of God and law of sin 
will be in conflict and opposition all the time, all the time. That's number one. You, we have got to recognize that. Number two, we have to recognize the withering effects of sin on our, what does it call it? Body of death. Body of death. Brother Kelly's lesson, Sunday school lesson, I thought was really good. There's a lot of wisdom in a Christian that's been down the road at 76 years old that's looking at life on the other side a little more clear than someone that's got good health and this body of death doesn't feel like a body of death yet because you don't have all the ailments that, like you said in the message. There's some real good wisdom there. It's thoughts I haven't thought about until I was compelled to think about them. So what are we saying here in Romans 7.25? You've got to, you've got to understand this. <clears throat> Indwelling sin remains in your flesh. And that is what will cause a deadness of spirit and a dullness to serve God. And it's going to continue to try to decay you until you hit the grave. And all of these sinful passions that you have in your flesh and that I have in my flesh is what causes us to have an unhealthy spiritual life. That's why it's dull to serve God and our spirit seems dead. It's because the flesh is gaining a little more victory and it shouldn't. And I'm telling you, this pain and grief, it's going, it's a constant struggle. Unless hmm. you can wave the little white sissy flag. <laughs> I surrender. But what is Paul? He's a warrior. And warriors fight. And warriors contend. And they get the victory through God. This is Paul as a saved man. He is not a defeated soldier. It is very important to understand he is a contending soldier. And the conflict's not going to stop this side of heaven. Number three, we need to understand the weakness of the law. We understood that pretty clearly as we went through Romans. Our conscience, human effort, none of us can deliver ourselves. We need to look to God for the deliverance. If we continue to try to allow rules and laws and our conscience and commandments and all that, our human effort, all that is going to do is contribute to the stress and the tension. And it will just continue to build it. The relief comes, the deliverance comes when we're looking to God and we've got our thankfulness in him. Because he's the only one that will deliver. Now, in the old days, these fortune tellers would scam people. Because what they would do is they would have two portraits that they would have on the same card, so to speak, the same picture. And one portrait was very clear. The other portrait was faded or, or obscure. And so they would try to scam you and, and tell you that, well, the clear, fully developed picture was the living person. And then that real obscure, faded picture it's kind of undefined, but they'd scam you. They'd lie to people and tell them, well, that's the image of your dead friend or your dead relative. This is paganism in its purest form. And many people got duped by that. 
But there's an easy scientific explanation. Because you can have a portrait of a person that gets so deeply impressed on the glass of the negative that even if you clean the glass, the picture can't fully be removed. Although, if you were to look at it with your human eye, you might not be able to see it. And you use that same plate over and over. That original image will fadely start to re reappear along with that new portrait. And that, so if this was a scam, they would run. They're running it now. It's just that they have computers and all other types of technology. If you're a Christian, you've been regenerated. You've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. But you know what keeps coming up is that faded image? Your flesh. You've got a new man. But you also have this old man that keeps rearing its ugly head. And your former sinful life and my former sinful life, it's been impressed upon our flesh. And the consequences that come along with that and the memories that come along with that, a lot of them aren't going to go away this side of heaven. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, that old image, that faded image will start to kind of impress more upon us. And we need to be careful. You know, good photographers can revive and restore old photos. Apparently, that's a good business to be in. All those old black and white or faded out pictures and, you know, they restore them and bring them to color and. We have to be real careful of the sin so easily besets us. Because we can be like that photographer that restores the old photos. God help us. Let's not bring that to a more fuller image. You know what the battle is in Romans 7? Your flesh and mine. Let us lay aside every weight, right? Put all that aside. And the sin which doth so easily beset us. How else are you going to run with patience? If you don't lay aside that weight, if you don't lay aside that sin, you're going to run like a stressed out nutball. And that's going to be your life down here. On. Lay it aside. And now you have a fruit of the Spirit to help you run. Isn't that a wonderful thing? With a silkworm, they say that there's a disease that can destroy it before it forms a cocoon. It's this white mold, they say, that grows inside the body of the worm and then destroys that silkworm. So instead of it turning into a beautiful winged moth, it turns into fertilizer. It goes into the ground and becomes worthless ground vegetation. This body of death that is wrapped around our soul that's been regenerated, you know where it cleaves to? The ground. It cleaves to decay. But God 
wants us right now in this body of flesh that is so longing to bring you down. God wants you in that body of flesh to live for his purposes, and you can do it. Go to 2 Corinthians 3, and we'll start to close. 2 Corinthians 3. We say, okay, we're renewed, we're regenerated, but behind that is our old self. We know the new man and the old man, the new creature, the old creature. We get that, but behind all of that is the image of God. It doesn't matter how depraved man is. We know Genesis 1 says God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. You know what? We have an image that haunts us even more clearly. We were created and stamped with the image of God. Matter of fact, when we get to Romans 8, we'll talk about we are predestinated not to go somewhere. We're predestinated to be something. And one of those things that we're predestinated to be is conformed to his image. And that is what should be happening daily with us. And to rescue that nature, that image of God, to rescue that, Christ came and he died. And as we become more like Christ, that weight doesn't hold us down. That sin doesn't beset us. That old nature doesn't creep up. Because the more we're conformed to Christ, the more that image stamps on us. And the more that is more clearly seen. And that is how we get the victory. And that is why we can thank God. 2 Corinthians 3, look at verse number 18, I'll show you. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass. Not these satanic fakers trying to get you that get you to believe in a, an image that isn't there through photography trick trickery. No, no, no. This, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. There is an image that I want to be conformed to, and I know you want to be conformed to. That is God's will for our life. And we can do that if we get a hold of what we've been talking about and recognize these differences. Last one, only the gospel will finish with the most important thing. Only the gospel can overcome sin and produce thankfulness. So when you ask, and when Paul asks, who shall deliver me? You know what it reveals? That you and I can't deliver ourselves. Number two, that we are only strong in the Lord. Number three, our complete confidence is in the deliverer, not ourselves. We acknowledge our weakness. And lastly, number four, it produces gratefulness and thankfulness to that deliverer.